First reading tonight is from uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15, and the readings are on page 6 and 7 of the Zines. Matthew chapter 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And the second reading is from James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, oh, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good, even the de demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was a joy. I worked with Justin on this one, and it was um, 
a joy to think through. Uh, as, as we begin tonight, I want to talk to you about Boris, Boris Johnson. It was interesting. So for 10 years, we lived in England, and as we looked across the pond, it just seemed that there was a new prime minister every uh, couple of years rolling through, and now that we've moved back and we look across the pond, uh, it seems that there is tensions in um, the UK leadership. And I want to talk about Boris for a moment because he's been in the media, and it's just by way of illustration. As you know, Boris is a candidate for uh, the Prime Minister in the United Kingdom. But objections have been raised about his suitability. I'm not here to make a comment upon that. But just notice the issue. A, a claim is made that he is suitable to lead the country, to be Prime Minister. A claim he makes. And yet there is evidence of his life, his actions, his, his very complex personal life. What's been pointed out is there is a difference between what, what is claimed versus what is done. If you claim you can be prime minister, then your actions need to show it. It's the, the working assumption that's been argued here. The claim and the actions need to be aligned. Now, I don't know what is in Boris's heart or who should be the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. But it's helpful to reflect, because what's, what's true of him is true in one sense of all of us. If we claim to be Christian, our actions need to show it. Our actions need to show it. A point made simply and powerfully in this, this passage tonight. It's a sobering passage that, that we come across in my text today, James 2.14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So we begin with two arresting questions there in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? It's a rhetorical question that James is asking. What good is it? Well, it's no good. Is the, is the working answer. Second, can such faith save them? Yes or no? Well, no, the assumed answer is it cannot. So it doesn't take much to say that you have faith. It's even striking as you look at the census results. People will profess faith. It's easy to tick a box. It's easy to be what you might call a Christian slacktivist, but integrity is much harder. So the title of our talk tonight is Claim Faith Does Not Equal Saving Faith. James here is insisting that genuine faith must work itself out in action. Without it, he goes as far as to say, it is no faith at all, it's, it's dead. And it's a sobering passage. Because it's possible to think that you're all sorted with God, but unknowingly possess a counterfeit faith. So, three questions tonight. What is a counterfeit faith? What then does true faith look like? And finally, what can we do about it? Those three questions correspond with the three points in your outline. The first point tonight, counterfeit faith. You'll see there there's a mistake in the printing, but it's counterfeit faith, looking from verses 14 to 19. Well, James first explores two examples of counterfeit faith. And the first is the armchair philanthropist. Look at verse 15. James asks us to suppose a Christian 
who is without clothes and daily food, to imagine that. It's not hard to imagine. What do you do? Well, you could say, verse 16, go in peace, keep warm, well-fed, and that's, that's good. But if you do so, but then do nothing about physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? So this is primarily an illustration, but he makes the point forcibly in verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, he raises a hypothetical situation there, but it's a conceivable situation. This is words without actions. This is being hearers, as we saw in chapter 1, without being doers. Now, words sound smooth, but they actually communicate, they actually say, I don't really mean this. What good is it? Verses 14 and 16. But the context of James shows us also that this isn't merely illustrative. There were people in their churches who had no clothes or food, genuinely needy people. And it seems that this church has people in distress but the Christians who could give them help just are not. We saw in chapter 1, verse 27, that religion our God and Father accepts is looking after orphans, widows in their distress. James' expectation is that genuine believers will do all that they can to help each other practically. We saw that last week in Justin's talk. So that is the first counterfeit Example of faith, the armchair philanthropist. And the second one is the hypothetical objector. We see that in verse 18, if you look on, it says, but someone, this is a hypothetical objector, will say, you have faith and I have deeds. In other words, look, there are, there are two kinds of, of Christians out there. There's faith types and then there, there's the doing types. There's the thinky types who like to drill down on doctrine Christian values, and then there are those that, that do deeds. You've got your deeds, I've got my values, you say potato, I say potato. And James has none of it. He says, no, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds, in verse 18. There is no other way to demonstrate faith. He says, by my deeds. True faith is seen. And to hammer the point home, he writes in verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. shudder. James says it's not enough to get monotheism right. It's not enough to get your theology right. James is saying that even demons are demonstrating a more rational response to their confession than James' readers are to theirs. It's quite a striking image, isn't it? And the logic there is simple enough. But if we're honest, it can trouble us, can't it? And maybe it should trouble us. But it's important to note as we move forward that the formula here is not faith plus works equals salvation. We'll come back to that, but it's important to note that at this point as we keep moving on. At this point, it's enough to say that profession of belief without deeds, is like hot air. It's a mark of counterfeit faith. It's dead. Verse 20, 
You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he'll go on and give it to us. But he does so by showing us the life of what true faith looks like in two characters from the Old Testament. So we've seen, we began with two arresting questions about the nature of true faith, two examples about counterfeit faith, and then as we move on to verses 20 to 26, we see what true faith looks like through two examples. First is Abraham, and Abraham was the archetypal man of faith. In verse 23, he's called God's friend. Let me read it to you from verse 21. He says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. Now, as you read that, our initial response is it can be quite troubling. It seems as if there's a contradiction at play here particularly with other New Testament writings. For instance, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, in chapter 2, writes this, in verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So too, we have put our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified or counted righteous. But in today's passage, in verse 24, you'll see, it says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So you can see how there's been some, some conflict there as if they, they contradict one another. It seems to fly in the face of Paul's emphasis on justification by faith. But I think it only seems that way. But it has troubled people, rightly, and it, it troubled Luther, um, the reformer, so much so that he called James a right epistle of straw, and he, and he banished James to the end of the German translation of the New Testament. But I think as you look at the context, Paul is addressing a different issue. See, Paul is addressing the issue of the law, or Torah. You are not justified, this is what Paul is saying, you're not justified by following the law, Torah. Faith in Jesus is enough. Trust that he died the death you deserve, and, and, and faith and not works of the law. But you can imagine a situation where people might have easily said, well, yeah, I have faith. I, I sort of believe. I mean, I know that there are other kind of full-on sort of people out there. They have deeds, but, but I, have, I have my faith. I have my values. But what really, really is going on here is Paul and James are actually saying the same thing from, from different angles. They're saying that faith must be genuine. The reformers put it this way. They said, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It is always accompanied by living deeds. And Jesus speaks into this situation when he says in our reading tonight, by their fruit you will recognize them. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. So how do I know them the same? Same message, but from different angles. Well, Paul and James use Abraham to illustrate their point. Same story, but different parts of the story. 
See, Paul focuses on the part where the narrator in Genesis 15 says this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is, Abraham believes in God, he has faith in God, and on that basis alone, not through any works that Abraham has done, that God credits him, declares him, thinks of him as, as right. But both James and Paul say that faith means something real. So what we read in Genesis is that Abraham believed God, and so he left his father's home. Abraham believed God, and he went to the land that God showed him. His faith was demonstrated by his packing of his bags. And that's the point that James is making in verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. It's a story from Genesis 22. Abraham was told to offer his son Isaac on the altar, and in a spirit of obedience he went to, but God provided a lamb instead. Isaac didn't die, no children were harmed. But James' point is there in verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. He believed God, and he showed he believed God. It shows that Abraham wasn't just all, all talk. It shows that he really, authentically trusted God. Remember, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. And the second example of true faith is, is similar. It's another story from the Old Testament. It's Rahab. In verse 25, we read about her, but it's from the book of Joshua. And in one sense, she could have been hardly more different to Abraham. She was poor. He was rich. She was a prostitute. We could call him a prophet. Yet like Abraham, her story illustrates true faith. She had heard about what Israel's God had done. So knowing God to be God, she believes and responds with practical help to the people of God. In the story, she, she lied to the murderous soldiers about the whereabouts of two Hebrew spies, Joshua and Caleb. And even as a, as a side point itself, it's, it's briefly, it's interesting because even like Corrie ten Boom, who, who, who lied about hiding Jews, um, as, we, as we think about this, I believe that the murderers forfeited their right to the truth. It's murky, but it's better to send them on than to have the Hebrews have the Hebrews killed. But as a side point, that is... Uh, but the main point is clear about why this, this story is cited. And the point is this, is that true faith is shown through its actions. As Abraham and Rahab, true faith is shown through its actions. And so James' conclusion in verse 26 is this, as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Just as physical life is made up of body and soul, so spiritual life is made up of, of faith and deeds. And this isn't in contradiction. It's just the nature of how it is explained. Paul emphasizes who we are in Christ, and James assumes that, but calls us to how we demonstrate our faith by what we do. Both are part of that picture. So we've seen two arresting questions Two examples of counterfeit faith, 
two examples of true faith. And so what, what does it mean for us? What are the implications as we close? How are we to get our faith, like Abraham, working together? How do we get alignment between Sunday, as it were, and, and Monday? Well, firstly, it might mean that we have to give up. I'll move that out so that it stops making that noise. We have to give up our uneasy relationship with good works. Rather, we should pursue all that we can. Uh, Reformed evangelicals have a funny relationship with with good works. We rightly emphasize grace and the finished work of Christ, and that's good. And so our apprehension about thinking about good works comes from a right place. It wants to protect something that's important, justification by faith, and that's right. But what it can do is it can separate that that was never meant to be separated. Like separating love from marriage well, actually, you, you show your love by what you do. And so, these things were never meant to be separated. Faith and deeds were held together. And so, James works to, to jolt us into action. And some of us might need to wake up because our faith might be flabby or it's asleep. Or it may even be, be dead. And James is working to jolt us awake there's a, there's a verse in Ephesians 6 that says, Wake up, sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Discipleship is about waking up to the realities that we're called to. And James, as it were, if, if the Apostle Paul kind of gently just shakes us to emerge us from our slumber, James kind of takes a doona and rips it off and, and throws some cold water on us. He wants us to wake up. And that's how that passage is, is functioning here. It's a wake-up call. It's meant to scare us a little bit. It has strong warnings. But Jesus, too, had strong warnings. Look at the reading from Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. They're sobering words, and we should feel the weight of it. But third, we should know where the lack of alignment might come from. See, I don't think a lack of alignment is always from malice or laziness, it may be, but often we can just end up at this place. Or there might be a lack of margin in, in our schedules, or we prioritise other things, and, and lulled, we kind of gradually fall asleep behind the wheel. We can functionally end up as armchair philanthropists or slacktivists. And James' intention here is to, to wake us up. Remember, he, he writes to those who are believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he assumes the quickening work of the Spirit as he gives his warnings to be like a warning to rattle us, to live out our identity of who we are in Christ. But he's like an awkward prophet, he employs a style to, to rattle us. So, in response, what can, we, what can we do? We've seen that faith without deeds is dead, but the two work together. The two make, are made complete. Well, we can't do everything. 
many of you wonderfully, and I, I feel this at the 4 p.m. service uh, particularly, they, they feel the weight of the world on their shoulders, uh, particularly with the rise of the internet. It's not just that immediate needs that are before our eyes, but now we, we see so extensively the need around the world. And that, that can be a crushing thing. It can be a paralyzing thing. Even with good desires, we don't know what to do in those situations. But we need not be crushed or paralyzed. Rather, I think Paul in Galatians offers us some sanity in, in this. In Galatians 6, he says this in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So hear that? We, we do good as we have opportunity. Real need is to be met, particularly in the church, but outside also. But there's a recognition that we're limited. So it's as we have opportunity. So a prayer for us might be, Lord, give us eyes to see. Martin Luther, as we saw, had many problems with the book. But he kind of summarizes this beautifully and poignantly in this passage. He says, it's a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is or what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. It's a heavy message, as is the message of James, and it causes us to, to check our pulse, as it were. And perhaps we need to make a searching and, and fearless moral inventory of our lives. Well, to close, to help us to do that, and remember we do this as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we stand right with God because of Christ's completed work, but we are called to do good works a few diagnostic questions could be helpful for us to think about how we apply this. The first one is this. Are there, are there no-go areas in your life? Is there certain non-negotiables in your life that you will choose every time over obedience? Another one is, do you, do you sacrifice to obey? True faith we saw in today's examples requires serious sacrifice. Serious sacrifice in terms of time, energy, popularity, potentially, emotion, or money. Do sacrifice to obey. And finally, are you, are you serious about change? True faith changes us. Transformation will not be all at once. The nature of sanctification is that it's gradual, but it's unmistakable. Perhaps you could reflect on those questions this week. Bring someone in on a meaningful conversation about it. Remember, we, we don't obey to earn our justification. We don't want you to do any of this stuff because it makes you right with God. We're right with God through the Lord Jesus and His work for us. But we want our faith to be alive and not dead. We want to be assured and not in despair. We want to be motivated rather than bored and productive for the kingdom. We want our faith and our deeds to be working together. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, that in him, because of his completed work, we are right with you, but that by your spirit you are at work within us in an unmistakable direction to make us more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, that we might be those who demonstrate true faith, uh, who demonstrate our true identity in the Lord Jesus uh, by outworkings of good deeds and actions. Lord, you have prepared good works in advance for us to do. We pray that we might walk in them. We pray that our faith and our actions may work together. In Jesus' name, amen.